0: Hey everybody, my name is Chase Hughes. I did 20 years in the US military and now I develop behavioral tactics for intelligence agencies, businesses, and regular people here in the United States. I've written two best-selling books on behavior analysis, hypnosis, behavioral profiling, influence, persuasion, and authority. Today, Dom and I are gonna be talking about what makes authority happen and what makes people become automatically obedient to human behavior. What are those traits that'll make us do something that we would probably never do in other circumstances? And what is the exact recipe of authority for ourselves? What do we need to do for ourselves to have that level of authority? I hope you can join us.
1: Welcome back to part three of our delicious episode of curiosity bites with my special guest Chase Hughes he's a best selling author of the Ellipsis Manual which was once, was originally written as a manual for intelligence it's gone on to become the leading book for um, hypnosis he has a, he's a leading military intelligence behavior expert with 20 years of experience he trains elite groups government agencies police behavior science skills including behavior profiling, nonverbal analysis, and deception detection. He is a brand new book out called Phrase 7. We'll get to that in a bit as well. So let's let's get back in here because one of the things I wanted to talk about with you, uh, Chase, because I think it's really interesting. Um, You come from the military intelligence place. Um, As you know, I'm politically motivated and and particularly politically interested in what's going on in the world. And when I look at this, as we were talking about in the last section, we were talking about um, authority and the power of authority. And we are seeing a rise in authoritarian leadership. It's kind of interesting to me because in many ways, millennials have collapsed that and they've made it so that people uh, want a more less hierarchical leadership and yet politically we're seeing a much more hierarchical leadership. We're seeing that with Bolsonaro in Brazil, we're seeing that uh, Trump in the United States, we're seeing that even you know um, in, in uh, New Zealand, Australia, not New Zealand, in Australia and many countries, Hungary and many others, that rise of authoritarian leadership uh, from the Philippines across Talk to us about what you're seeing there. What you know, why do you think there's that rise of these authoritarian leaders who and justification of them? It's fascinating to me. I had a conversation with somebody last week about this who is an expat from Hong Kong, who lived in Hong Kong under British law, left when it went to China, moved to Canada. Um, and as they moved to, but now completely supports the Chinese government in the repression of the, of the Hong Kong people. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. What do you see? In China? No, just generally with this rise of authoritarian leadership. That was just an example. I think that
0: in times where media is showing us all this stuff 24 hours a day, over time, any, no matter what you do, they're gonna show you exactly what you wanna see. Mm-hmm. So if, if I am on Facebook and I see something politically I don't like, guess what, I'm gonna go to another app. I'm gonna mm-hmm. probably get sick of it. It's gonna take me out of this focus zone. So I think the authoritarian leadership makes people feel more certain about things and more secure. And that should be any leader that should be gives you those feelings but i think in particular in today's environment where we have by definition textbook brainwashing in social media and if there's if i could describe brainwashing in one word and one word only it's repetition right repetition right. and you were exposing we're getting exposed to the same things over and over again and granted, I, there's a massive process for textbook brainwashing, and this kind of follows it. But one thing that we're seeing this is a rise of people who vote in leaders who are wanting smaller government and bigger people. And this is also true, you've, you've given some great examples, but it's, it's true in the UK with the, the Boris Johnson election. Yep. Just recently elected. I'm not sure when you're watching this video, but it's 2020, but we're, we're seeing that in many places where the people are trying to get someone who is anti-system mm-hmm. and nothing's ever been more anti-system than the entire Trump campaign mm-hmm. in 2016. Uh, he had these phrases like drain the swamp. Which was one of the catchphrases of the Trump campaign, and it was it was incredible to see that that was
1: that election actually happened. It was fascinating for people like you and me.
0: Yeah, I mean,
1: you know, because I, I really think that what people like us saw was so different than what everybody else was looking at. It was for me, it was like a it was like a, a magic act. It's like look at this hand while I do this. For me, that was like, wow. I mean, I wrote about it and said, you know, here's why I think he's going to be, be the president. Totally underqualified, and here's why it's going to happen. And one of the pieces I wrote was the people, you know, people said, oh, you know, he's, he's being voted in by, by misogynists and racists. And I went, no, he's not. And they went, what do you mean? He's being voted by, in by that section that will make the difference is the same people who voted for Obama. And they're like, he couldn't be more different than Obama. No, you're actually wrong. Here's what it is. Obama said change. Trump says change. The people who voted Obama in were sick to death of the system the way it was. And then they saw Obama didn't change the system, that he was a corporate Democrat. Damn. Okay, so we need somebody outside of the system, and they voted Trump. They didn't vote for misogyny. They didn't vote for racism or anything like that now the problem is and i really want yours on this is this um one of my principles that i teach is the first law of investment the first law of investment is you can't lose your investment if you put a thousand bucks in and it makes twenty thousand, and then it starts losing money the only point most people will drop out is at a thousand bucks they won't lose their original investment and that works psychologically so if people voted in a leader and the leader sucks They will keep backing that leader all the way through because they don't want to lose their original investment because their investment is an ego investment. I don't want to look stupid, so I'm going to back this up, even though everything is showing the opposite of what it is that I said because they're so invested in their own ego. Your your turn. And he lobs the ball into your side. I I absolutely agree, and this is
0: something we – or a psychologist would call confirmation bias. Exactly. And once I've made a decision to do something, my brain will selectively identify what agrees with my decision. And it'll sort of ignore or delete anything that that doesn't. So we see someone who didn't vote for Trump. Uh, the election comes around and now there's another cognitive bias. This guy actually did get elected and I thought it would never happen in a million years. And at that point, I have to either say, well, that's the law, or I have to say, I'm an idiot, or I didn't do this right, right. or I have to say, maybe he's a great guy. Or finally, he's a monster mm-hmm. and he's tricked everybody. So we have to and nobody's ever going to say i'm i'm the idiot it's it very rarely happens but we have the people who supported trump who celebrated that whole thing mm-hmm. and they will ignore as the whole his whole not the election but his whole time in office moves forward they will see all the great things and ignore any of the bad like his lack of self-control or his tendency to overuse adverbs
1: like crazy. And I, I didn't notice. Really, it was so bigly. <laughs> huge. Yeah. Huge. The best, biggest ever. No other government has ever. <laughs> yeah.
0: They'll see all those things and ignore all the great. It, with Obama, there's a massive list of great and wonderful things that he did for the country with Trump. There is a massive 35, 40 page list of all the things that he did that helped everybody Mm -hmm. equally. Uh, So there's good and bad with everything. Of course. But since you've made a decision on election day, we tend to only see what agrees with our opinions later on down the road. And that's true whether you're a Republican, Democrat, it doesn't actually matter.
1: But this is, for me, that's the lesson here, Chase, that I want people to get. Um, The ability for you to step outside of your own bias is, is possible. It is possible. You can do it. I do it all the time. It's one of the reasons I love doing this show, because I believe the cure to the problems of the world is curiosity. It's not higher levels of intelligence. It's not more love or more compassion. It's curiosity. It's the willingness to say, Tell me why. I I really want to understand that. Uh, One of my phrases is is questions require answers. And when you get an answer, that makes somebody wrong and somebody right. But curiosity requires understanding. That's deeper. It's I I want to explore with you. And that allows us to step outside of our own bias. And in the leadership work we do, we say, let's train you to breach your own bias that's what we wanna teach you to do, breach your own bias. So you can see the things that you're doing that are just not working, instead of keep holding on and investing more in the shitty thing that doesn't work. And that means that, you know, I, I put up a post recently on uh, in Instagram and I said, um, just because you like some of the things the lunatic does, doesn't mean you should let them run the asylum, right? And that's part of the problem. It's kind of like, oh, you did that, right? So, okay, you can now control. No, that's crazy, right? And it's the same thing with all of these things. This, for me, this rise in the authoritarian, for me, my opinion is that it's a reaction. And it's what you said before about certainty is that on this side, and I've described this many times, on this side, you've got these people who are feeling victims of everything. You know, they're the victim of language, they're a victim of everything, you know. Nothing is politically correct. You don't recognize this. Well, they're a victim of everything. And psychologically, you and I know that if you're a victim, you need a hero. And so, well, we need a hero. So now we've got a hero on the other side. And who's the hero? Could be a loony. Could be a guy who's got orange skin and a comb over. It could be, you know, Bolsonaro. It could be Rodrigo. It could be anybody who is saying, I will come to the rescue. In the Philippines, he said, you know, drug addiction is the problem here. So I'm going to rise. I can save you from this. By the way, if you want to go out and shoot people you suspect of using drugs, go right ahead. We'll back the truck up and we'll take them away. And people went, okay, because it's these need for big solutions when you feel like a victim. And so anything will do. That's the problem is because I think the solution is not, that we need a hero but we need to stop being the victim we need to stop looking at ourselves as a victim and instead say how am i victimizing and how am i allowing myself to be victimized and how can i empower myself and others in the process so that we don't need a freaking savior whoever that is including biden by the way or including trump or anybody else it's not left or right it's just i don't need a hero do you, do you see that differently or? I think, uh, I think I see it the same way
0: as you. And I'll add on a piece of that. Thank you. Is that sometimes that hero not only helps you become a victim, but tells you that your failures aren't your fault. Mm, that's very good. Yeah. It's somebody else's fault. The reason that you're suffering through X, Y, and Z is someone else's fault. And I'm here to fix that. It's not your fault. And that gives us that psychological reprieve. It happened to Republicans. It happens to Democrats. And they said, you're not at fault. I'll fix it. But one thing that's really common when I teach interrogation courses, or when I teach persuasion courses, my first opening statement is that you are not in the business of persuasion. If you're an an authoritative figure and granted, when I say that I'm not meaning domineering and controlling or anything like that. You're in the position
1: of authority.
0: Yeah. Andy Griffith, Andy Griffith is probably the number one best example. I can just pop out of the top of my head right now. Right. But when you're in that position of authority, whether you're with somebody new or with your coworkers, you're not in the business of persuasion, you're in the business of permission at that point.
1: Mm.
0: In an interrogation, I'm giving someone permission to do something that they normally would not. If I'm a therapist, I'm giving my patient permission to behave in a completely different way. If I'm in sales, I'm giving that customer permission to act in a way that they might not otherwise act. So the permission comes once you become a person with character, integrity, authority, all the, just whatever bumper sticker words you want to throw on it. But once who we are is leveled up, that's the point where we trigger that obedience or that following behavior in other people. And we reach a point to where we're no longer persuading, but offering permission.
1: Yeah. Like I said, ethical persuasion is giving people permission to have what it is that they actually want to have. That's real. That's that's really interesting. So, you know, you you've brought it up a couple of times, and and, and I, I really want to make sure we get to it, which is this. You know, a lot of the, the, the behavioral science stuff that you've done, and you know, psyops, psyops, and all those kind of things. You know, again, military intelligence, interrogations, etc. But there's such a big therapeutic process here, and, and therapeutic application. Talk to us a, bit, a little bit about that, about the stuff you've done and the therapeutic application of it. You know, even if you have a story around that, that we can sort of get our head around. Sure, so it's it's a persuasion
0: technique. And these are influence techniques, but they can be used in in any environment. So what the way that I measure this is, there's no persuasion technique on earth that is sinister or evil and we measure persuasion on two axes consent yes consent no consent and then we have awareness no awareness and awareness is the person aware it's being done and did they consent to it however somebody doing cognitive behavioral therapy that person did give consent, but they're unaware of the hidden processes within the therapy, Mm -hmm. still very ethical. A person undergoing hypnosis is maybe unaware. A person that pays for subliminal messaging, maybe they don't know what's on the tape, so they didn't consent to every single message that's on the tape and they're unaware of most of it, but it's still very ethical. The only ethical boundary with any part of persuasion is the intent of the user. And that's it. That's interesting. The intent of the user. So if I'm using the technique, my intent towards the other person is my intent to leave them better than I found them or not. And that's kind of the only question there.
1: Is my intent to benefit the other person? But that again, so now we're in an ethics question because the subjective ethics of that individual. Because they say, well, this is, you know, I'm gonna make Germany better because I'm gonna remove all the Jews. That's right. Okay. Ethically, subjective ethics on that one is, it's completely ethical because my intent is to make Germany better. Uh, I think six million Jews and a bunch of uh, everybody else would go, yeah, not so much. So that, you know, so when we look at that, does it come down to personal? I mean, does it come down to we have a board and they decide or does it come down to a personal, you know, when you get to that that intent piece?
0: I think if, if we just live off the, the, the motto that we leave people better than we found them and we rise by lifting others, there's no there's not much room for gray area there if you have a firearm there's no gray area whether you're using that for good or bad
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and of course because a, a a bullet is a physical item but when we get into psychology and we get into ethics and we get into that that is subjective again it's not a physical thing and so the ethics of i am leaving these people better by removing those people you know there are people walking around today in the united states last week shooting people who honestly but you know in their distorted one could say reality believe they're leaving people better how do we deal with that chase how do you know because that's That's, that is a, that is not a gray area because we all yes or no on it, but it is a non-black and white as a general, it's a very much black and white for a subjective, but as a general, it's like, "Mm, yeah, I can look at this and say, yeah, that person did believe they were making the world a better place. And at the same time, I can judge it as definitely not that.
0: Right. And I think it's okay for us just to say it's a gray area. Mm. For us to try to nail down a black and white answer to that, we could talk for 600 years without sleeping and bring in every philosopher that's ever existed and we would still have no full conclusion. No, so It's okay for us just to say that there is a gray area there, but the, the boundary is typically at intent.
1: But my, my piece on that is intent is one thing, But I think my opinion, it's not the truth, my opinion is that you have to monitor your intent, and the way you monitor your intent is through self-discovery and self-knowledge. Because my intent in doing something when I was 17, I could do exactly the same thing today with the same intent, but it would be a completely different behavior because of level of self-knowledge. I didn't intend to hurt that person, but I did hurt that person. It was not my intention, but I didn't even have any awareness of it at that time. And I would not do that now because my intent is still not to hurt that person, but I have a level of depth and self-awareness that I think is, I think I've always believed that that's the missing piece. Self-knowledge is the piece. Otherwise, we become these um theoretical wizards who understand all the all the bullshit words and all the right things to say and how to do it, but we don't have enough depth inside of ourselves. We don't done enough self-discovery to go, what drives that? My work around the dragon fire in individuals is what is the driver within you? What is it that you are trying to do in the world that you don't even know yet? Like we talked about that ellipsis. What is that undercurrent that you're not aware of? and that for me is where that that we move out of the the vagueness even of intent and say but have you looked at what's driving that for you do you see that differently or do you is that something you're you're, you're behind as well the the, the level of self knowledge makes a big difference
0: i think it does make a huge difference i think there's a famous quote my mentor said to me don't know who said it but he said the most dangerous person in any room is the person who doesn't know themselves.
1: I fully agree with that. I, I definitely, I mean, to me, that is so powerful and important that so it, it blows me away. And but again, I, we're back to, oh, sorry. I would say that knowing yourself doesn't automatically
0: give you good intent. And that's, no, no. that's, I think it's okay for us just to say that's probably going to be a permanent gray area. Mm. And it's okay. There's gray areas in the law. There's gray areas in all of human interaction. And that's just something that's gonna exist. I'm not a philosopher and I'm, I'm not a, a lawmaker. So yeah. I think if your intent is good, by and, and 90% of people would agree with you, mm-hmm. and that's, that's kind of where it is. But I think knowing yourself really really helps to understand. Because if if someone says manipulation, this is manipulation. Cognitive behavioral therapy is manipulation. Combing your hair in the morning is manipulation.
1: Taking a shower, wearing deodorant. And and I agree with all that, Uh, uh, with everything you're saying. there. I I just think that, the reason I actually love my own work is I love watching those lights come when people go, oh my God, that's why I do that? Um, because uh, I can track almost every behavior back to their childhood. I can show them where, what's driving it, that they, you know, I'll give you a, a great example. We are working, my wife and I do couples work as well. We do private couple training um, to help them understand what's driving their relationship. And we just do this privately. It's not advertised anywhere. It's only by, you know. And um, there's a couple. And we said, I want you to pick something small that's an issue. And she goes, okay, he double booked us. I was going to do this uh, for a friend. And he went and booked that he was going to play golf. And she goes, and I felt really disrespected by that. And we got down to it. And what we found was her eight-year-old self on a bed writing in her journal feeling completely worthless because her parents didn't make her a priority and in anything they were doing when they were going through their divorce now there's all kinds of reasons for that and we don't even have to go to that we just go to what happened for her and how that is now showing up in this behavior of how she is with her husband when he double books And that driver at that deeper level gives him a deep compassion for his wife in seeing her as not some crazy cow who's just freaking out because he booked golf, but as having deep compassion for this little girl who lives inside of her. And that then allows us to say, oh, I know why I'm doing something. And because we're all... i mean I, I think the greatest ability of human beings is our ability to justify <laughs> we can justify anything and yeah. it's a, it's, a, it's it can be a terrible thing so th- that's why i just think it's a fascinating piece to look at what is the level of self knowledge and as you said from your mentor i'm always i'm very very nervous i don't know if that's the right word cautious about people who have power and authority but no self-knowledge or little self-knowledge it just is like for me that's a ticking time bomb of what that will do to make that person feel better about themselves and as you and i know everybody's trying to feel better yeah
0: yeah i had a psych professor once who said uh nothing is ever what they come in to talk to you about if they have if they say i'm i'm overeating it's not about the eating if i say my husband's a dick it's not about the husband i say I, I can't i'm getting panic attacks about flying it's not about flying so if there's always something that we we that's down there and any wonderful therapist the best therapist that have ever lived ask you so many questions that all all we end up doing is just help giving you a shovel and having you do all the digging work and that's every little every chunk of dirt that we're pulling up is more Mm -hmm. self-knowledge at the end of it we're so self-aware that the problem dissipates a little bit because we we get a little we get a hand on the steering wheel because we know where it is yeah is
1: there a if you could personally insert something into into therapy, because we're talking about the, the the therapeutic process here and therapeutic use of all these, what would you what would you insert in there? Because you know, uh, I was trained as a therapist originally, and got frustrated with people spending five years on something that they never really changed. Um, I just didn't find it very helpful. And that's why I started studying NLP and hypnosis and all those kinds of things and behavioral stuff. Um, and it just was not, is there something you would like to sort of say, I wish every therapist would learn this or understand that or do this?
0: I wish the therapist would learn something that I write a lot about and that's authority and and what makes authority. As if you have a client that becomes obedient almost automatically, or becomes not just obedient but open and vulnerable and real, you can get to results a lot faster. And of course, uh, it's it it's not good for your bottom line if you if you get results for your clients very quickly, <laughs> and it really isn't.
1: It. I'm sorry. I'm bad for business. I'm gonna. I mean, do you what was his name? Bob. Bob Newhart. That that thing where he played the therapist. Yeah. Remember that? Uh, he, you know, you only pay me for five minutes, uh, and it, it's only five bucks for five minutes or whatever it was. After that, uh, you're done, or you have to pay me five minutes You have to pay me five dollars every minute, and it, and it is like, well, what are you afraid of? I'm afraid of claustrophobia. Okay, fine. Um, then don't go into small spaces. <laughs> she says, but, but I can't help that. And he goes, well, don't do it. <laughs> and he says, and what's more, if you don't show up talking about it, I'm going to lock you in a small box. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes. like when I was a therapist, somebody sent that to me, I was like crying laughing because that's it. I mean, I, I think we also get very attached to to our neuroses, and we, we want to hold on to them too. There's so much identity. Because I think that that's another big challenge is identity. I, you know, I've been talking a lot about uh, the coronavirus and the pandemic and all that. And, I said, you know, one of the things leaders are going to have to deal with is identity crisis as a form of PTSD it will happen because all their, everybody's identity is going out of the window. It's like, I'm the CEO. Of what? Your living room while you're on Zoom? No, you're not. The kids are coming in. The dog's taking a crap on the carpet and nobody's paying attention to you. You suddenly lost a lot of your authority, buddy. That identity piece is, is fascinating. So authority is what you would like therapists to learn. And, and
0: I, I would add TRE in there as well. I think that is critically underutilized. And that's, uh, it stands for trauma release exercise and there's a there's a book that kind of explains how this works and the book is called why zebras don't get ulcers and it talks about this animal response to incurring a trauma zebras drinking out of a watering hole and an alligator crocodile comes up and grabs him by the throat zebra manages to escape and somehow the next day he's not he's not curled up in a hole somewhere he's back doing his everyday thing. He might be bleeding a little bit, but he's back doing his thing. And that happens to humans very rarely. Mm. We hold on to it. And the trauma release exercise is something they've been doing with Navy SEALs for several years when they when they come back. And it's something I would absolutely recommend you look up on YouTube or, or take a look at it. It's not complex uh, for a therapist. It takes You could teach a therapist to do this in five minutes, Hmm. maybe 10. And it's something that our body naturally does by itself to release trauma and and things like that. So I would highly suggest that for anybody. And we have to know that trauma is absolutely relative to the person. Somebody getting punched in the face in middle school can have the same effect as somebody having their leg blown off in Iraq. Mm Mm-hmm. And not to disrespect the person who had that happen to him, no. but it's relative. It's it's our perception of the trauma that makes the trauma bad.
1: Absolutely.
0: <clears throat> and TRE is extremely helpful, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, one of the things that I I talk about is that courage is subjective. And what that means is, if it it might be courageous for me to tidy up my desk, if I you know if that's just not what I do. And it feels like it takes a lot of courage for me to get to doing that. And other people are like, well, it's just what you do. And then I go out on stage and speak in front of 5,000, 10,000 people and people go, Oh my God, that's so courageous. No, it's not. It's just what I do. It's yeah. subjective. And the, the challenge with it is that we measure our courage by someone else. Instead of going, this is courageous for me. And it's the same thing with trauma. I talk about the two kids, Johnny and Bobby, uh, who are best friends at school, they're the same age. And when Johnny comes home every night from school, his mother's usually drunk, sitting on the kitchen floor, close to her own vomit, and shouts, where have you been, you little bastard? And and screams at him, right? And Bobby comes home, and when he comes home, his mom offers him milk and cookies and says, how was your day, dear? And she's clean and tidy, and she's got her apron on. And then one day, they come home, same day, best friends, uh, uh, they come home, same time. And at this time, instead of Johnny's mom being on the floor drunk, Johnny's mom's cleaned up. She's got her apron on. She's made cookies and she gives him milk. And on this side, Bobby's mom, instead of being clean and tidy and having baked cookies and milk, is on the floor next to her own vomit. And I say, which one is more traumatized? And the answer is both. It's equal. Because trauma is simply what's not normal. And when you go, oh, my God, Um, But we have these classifications of, oh, that's abusive. No, it's not. Anything could be, anything could not be. And that's what you're saying about this understanding of how does it work for you? And I, I think that's how we minimize ourselves and we minimize our own feelings. We minimize the feelings of others rather than giving ourselves permission to just feel with it, be with it, and then move on.
0: Yeah, I love that. That's a wonderful illustration, too, of the point, for sure. Thank you.
1: Appreciate that coming from you i take that as a big compliment this is an amazing conversation if you want to be part of this conversation come over and join us in facebook we have a group in there called curiosity bites and of course if you want to find the video of this that's only available to you through our patreon channel if you go to uh the patreon uh, Patreon patreon.com and you look for dove baron there you'll find the dragon's lair uh we've had some amazing conversation here we don't have long left and i really want to make sure that we know more about you know more about where you can find out more about Chase and all these his wonderful resources and about his new book. So before we go anywhere else, Chase, would you please tell everybody where they can find out more about you and your books and everything else? Yeah, thanks, Doug.
0: If you type uh, Chase Hughes into Google, you'll definitely get me. But my website is chasehughes.com. And if you like any kind of mind control fiction, thrillers, or anything like that, we do have a new book here called Phrase 7 and it is about a group of mind control experts who are serving the world trying to stop nuclear war from happening and there's some really cool stuff in the book not only to learn but i think the story is pretty good too i think you'll like it we have a lot of training online there's tons of resources there for reading people influence persuasion interrogation all that stuff is is there as well on on the website
1: Yeah, I mean, there is so much resources there for you. I really do recommend that you go there. Um, I haven't read Phrase 7 yet. I'm really excited about that. Um, And I'm excited about what's happening with it. Can we say anything? It is, we have a full cast selected and it will
0: hopefully be made into a TV show.
1: That's pretty awesome. I am excited about that, really am. We're going we're gonna to say goodbye to Chase. I want to make sure that you uh, tune into this. Make sure that you share the show with everybody you know. We want to thank Chase Hughes. Again, you can find more about him at chasehughes.com or you can simply Google that name. This guy has got so much material. There's hundreds and hundreds of videos online with him and the behavior panel and so, so many other things and these amazing books. And we will definitely keep you in the loop about more of this. Until next time. Stay curious, my friend, stay curious. And we want to thank Chase Hughes for being with us. Till next time, I'm out.